Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Teacher's Pet. This is your host, Trey Cabler. Um, I sound like a broken record probably at this point, but please make sure you guys are going to check out the episodes we've um, been doing the last couple of weeks. This summer has been crazy for episodes. Um, we were lucky enough to have on Dr. John Cox a couple weeks ago, who's running for superintendent. We're really hoping to get uh, the other candidates on in the coming weeks. So make sure you go listen. Um, I've also had on a couple of uh, representatives who had some really great insight on education policy in the state. But today we have on a star of Oklahoma education, if you will, um, the 2020 Oklahoma Teacher of the Year, Miss Jenna Nelson. Uh, Jenna, thank you so much for getting on today. Hi, Trey. It's Gina, and it's so wonderful to meet you. <laughs> It's Gina. Oh, time to start the episode over again. Not really. It's just fine. I guess I'd never actually heard it pronounced. I'd only seen it in print. So I'm a great host. Can't you tell? You're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. <laughs> um, well, obviously, uh, that's a really, that's a really big award and it's really high praise. And I've read about you in multiple stories. I've looked at um, your work and what you do. And needless to say, um, I wish we had more educators like you in Oklahoma. So thank you for what you're doing. Uh, well, thank you so much. That's such high praise. But one of the great things about getting to go around the state this year is finding that there are amazing educators everywhere that are doing amazing things with very little resources and uh, just great big hearts. So thank you so much for, for that compliment. Absolutely. Um, Tell us a little bit about your background, where you came from, how that informs your teaching, and kind of how you got to the place you are now. Sure. So um, I grew up in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, um, and I was one of those kids that we see every day in our classrooms. I came from um, a very traumatic home. There was a lot of abuse. There was a lot of mental health issues. Um, and public school was the only place that I felt safe. And um, I, I struggled a lot uh, in school behavior wise. My grades were great, um, but I, I really was labeled as one of those kids early on in the community. Uh, and that kind of stuck with me uh, until I met uh, my teacher, Mr. Stephen Smallwood in my freshman year of high school. And he, he turned my life around. He noticed me. He, he gave me purpose. He he offered me a pathway out of my trauma uh, and helped me become the first in my family to be, to go to college. I uh, left Oklahoma and went to Northwestern State University in Natchitoches, Louisiana, uh, and I graduated with a degree in theater. And I was a casting agent and an actor for a very long time uh, until I got a call one day at the agency and this after school program in inner city Baton Rouge, Louisiana said, Hey, we're looking for someone to come and teach an after school program. And nobody in the agency wanted to do it. And I said, well, I want to do it. And so I went and after that first day, I realized what had been missing from my life. And I realized I needed to teach. And so I kind of, you know, left that life behind uh, and I started teaching. And of course, my, my first couple of years were just terrible. I could write a book on being the worst first year teacher ever. Um, and but yet they taught me some of the most amazing lessons in my life. And I still carry it with me 
and they really made me who I am as a teacher. Um, and then after a while of traveling around, I've taught in, in many different places around the country and I ended up coming back to Oklahoma and started teaching in Putnam City District at Cooper and Mayfield. And then I taught theater uh, there and I taught theater at Edmond North High School. And then um, it was time for me to sit in the audience and clap for my own children. And I started teaching composition and academic enhancement at Deer Creek Middle School. That is uh, that is quite a journey. Um, <laughs> I think it is so encouraging and heartening to hear uh, that the work that teachers do um, is not only invaluable, but also fundamentally life-changing to kids that come from the background like you did. Yes. Um, and also a good reminder that, you know, kids that are, you know, acting out or labeled that kid in air quotes, um, a lot of times there's some of the ones that uh, you can really pull the most out of. Um, yeah. There's so much I want to talk about today. It is, uh, yeah, there's there's just so much that we can get into. Um, I want you to talk about what's it like to teach theater? Uh, most of the teachers we have on here typically teach English because that's my area of expertise. I have on some history teachers, but apparently we're on a run of fine arts because I've had on a couple music teachers and now we have some drama in here too. Absolutely. Teaching theater in my career was amazing. Um, you get to have the best of all of the school. And what I mean by that is that, you know, there's not a one type of kid that wants to do theater. You have everything from your goth kids to your football players that want to do theater. And they come together and they learn to work together and collaborate and create something that's bigger than their popularity or bigger than their home life. And it is a fantastic way for them to connect but also get that social emotional learning that we're all so desperately trying to incorporate or incorporate in our classrooms. But what we find in the arts is that we've been doing this all along um, and, and really focusing on, you know, the, the whole child and, and the collaboration and, uh, you know, building something that's bigger than yourself. Uh, and, and watching kids who come in and maybe they're extremely shy and they can't find their own voice and then, by the end of the year, they are they're speaking out and they're speaking up. And that's the joy in, in being a, a theater teacher is is seeing them find who they are um, and watching that journey happen. And they do that through empathy by learning the lives of these other characters and putting themselves in someone else's shoes. And boy, isn't that a great lesson we could all use right now, putting ourselves in someone else's shoes to understand where they're coming from. Um, and so I, I love that. I love the creativity. I love the building. Uh, I was also the stagecraft teacher. So, you know, um, I taught my kids how to use power tools and, and how to run the fly rail systems and lighting systems and everything that is, is STEM and everything that you teach in your core classes is practical application. We learn physics so that when we get up on the fly rail, we don't kill people. Uh, so it's, it's, I think that there are just so many lessons that the arts provide. And I think it's so important that we not only support our arts teachers, but we make sure that we can get as many of them as possible. And every program and every single school needs to be completely supported. Uh, yeah, that is a message that resonates, especially here on the podcast. You know, we, we both teach in 
relatively large districts, um, both with excellent fine arts programs all around, you know. Uh, we have a new teacher coming today and we were giving her a tour of the entire building and we took her down into our fine arts center that has our choir rooms and our art rooms and everything else. And watching her jaw drop was one of the coolest parts of the whole thing just because she came from a place that didn't have that. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but I think that the reality um, in Oklahoma, you're talking about the limited resources. Um, a lot of smaller districts don't have those same kind of opportunities. Um, and I think that that has to just be a, has to be a bigger priority really for all of us. I completely agree, Trey. I completely agree. Um, so obviously start off theater and drama and then transitioned into teaching composition and then academic enhancement. So yeah. can you kind of explain that transition, how your theater background informs that and then explain what the heck academic enhancement means? Absolutely. And, and actually that's all I'm teaching now. I, they've transferred me again this year. Um, so I'm back in the classroom teaching all academic enhancements. So what happened, of course, is that all of my, I have a lot of background in playwriting and things like that. So that naturally transitioned um, in getting, you know, I, I have my English certificate, of course, but, uh, and my theater certificate, but it was just a natural progression of helping kids find their voices. But instead of speaking it, I taught them how to do it through writing. And I think that that's very, very important as well. Now, academic enhancement is, is a class that we have set up for kids that they're not on IEP, um, but they are in tier two and tier three, and they, they need some extra supports, either through academics or through behavior. And since um, obviously my wheelhouse is in trauma-informed learning and um, coming from that background and then working with so many kids who have backgrounds in trauma, it was just a natural progression. And so now that's all I'm going to be teaching. I'm going to be working with those kids who, who need a little structure on the academic side so that need some other skills. And then I'm going to be working with the behavior kids on some coping skills, some social emotional learning, and just being their advocate so that they can be successful through their middle school years, which we both know it's just so important that we really, really get them ready in middle school so they can be successful in high school. You hit the nail on the head. Um, I just went through three really intense days of PLC training last week with Solution Tree. And we, we were already doing a lot of the things they were talking about. But one of the biggest things um, that you just hit on, right, is talking about tier two and tier three. I think to non-educators out there, they might not understand what that means. You're talking about students who need more intensive intervention than your just kind of, I guess, not average student, but somebody that is lacking in certain areas, whether it be behavioral or even academic. There are gaps to backfill so that they can be successful. Um, and I think that it's awesome that Deer Creek has taken the initiative to make that into a whole class, especially with one of the best teachers that they could have doing it right? A lot of times kids get thrown into remedial classes or whatever else it is you want to call it. And in reality, we're not actually preparing them to be successful. All we're doing is basically just saying, you know, this is your credit so that you can pass. Absolutely. So I think it's awesome. You know, we were having the conversation about how we're going to try to implement that strategy. And luckily we have some built-in advisory time every day, but I think it's awesome what they're doing with you. 
So that's great to hear. Well, I appreciate that. We have it. We do have an amazing team. Um, one of our counselors also serves as our RTI coordinator. And so she and I um, work very, very closely. Christy Kringlin is amazing with the data. And uh, and so it's kind of like a, a wonder, you know, wonder team because she's great with data. And I'm and I'm great with kind of figuring out this. I think that's the theater in me of figuring out the, the whole solution, what the bigger picture is, what the play is going to be. Um, and then casting and figuring out what's going to work best for each of those kids in that class. Awesome. Um, so I guess let's let's expand on this a little bit. So what's some practical advice you would give to teachers whenever they come across a student that has those gaps, whether it's in academic learning or it's in social emotional learning? Okay, so um, the first thing that I'm going to start say by saying is, Maybe it's a little cliche, but this is a strategy that has worked for me. And that is give those kids a fresh start every day. If they're if they're coming in and they've got some kind of struggles with academics and they're you know, not turning anything in, it's very easy for a lot of teachers to to basically kind of, you know, get frustrated with them and, and, and maybe take a few things out on them or make comments about it. And all that's doing is that that turns the switch off of that kid and that kid does not want to work for you. So whatever they're having to face and overcome, now they feel like they don't have an advocate in the room. And that also goes with our behavior kids. As a kid from a, a traumatic household, um, just knowing that, that I can mess up, I can make a mistake, and I can come back in that classroom and my teacher's going to smile at me and say, I'm so glad that you're back here. Let's start again. You've got another chance. Today is a different day. Let's move on. So I, I really feel that giving everyone those fresh starts every day, and I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. We have 150 kids sometimes a day that we're dealing with. But if our goal is to truly make sure that they're successful, then we have to kind of take that step back as an educator because we're the adults and give them that fresh start every single day. Because what will happen is that if it's if it's, you know, the kids that's struggling academically, they're going they're going to figure out, OK, this will work. This doesn't work. I don't need to shut down. I don't need to get frustrated because my teacher cares. They're fighting for me. And so I've got to meet them halfway. The same thing with behavior kids. Somebody cares about me. Somebody fi is fighting for me. Somebody's advocating for me and they're going to show up. Now, are they always going to be perfect? No, but. That's why we're learning, right? And we're the better place to learn than in the school. So that's, you know, that's kind of how I look at it. So that's that's the first thing I would start with, Trey. Yeah, absolutely. I my my listeners probably hate me repeating the same line, but I've talked about so much how every kid needs an anchor, right? And you know, some kids are lucky and they have a lot of anchors. They have anchors at home, they have anchors at church or other activities, and they have anchors at school, but there's a lot of kids that they need that anchor whenever they get out. It's like you said, it's like a you can breathe whenever you were at school. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think we have, we have a lot of draconian practices almost still in teaching um, from the mindset of where our education system came from. And we really have to start changing that because there's not less kids coming into our classroom with trauma. There's more than there ever has been. Absolutely. And our state is number one for uh, ACE scores in the entire country. 
and we need to start addressing it and we need to start changing our practices in the classroom so that we can not only make it more enjoyable for the teachers, but we've got to make sure that our students are supported as well. Can you explain that? Some people might not know what an ACE score is and why that is so important to understand for educators. Okay. So our ACE scores are basically, um, it is a very simple test actually to see um, how many traumatic events that our children have faced in their lifetime. And the higher the ACE score, then obviously the higher the amount of trauma. Um, and, you know, in Oklahoma, we do have the highest ACE scores in the country that our children are, are, are witnessing and enduring and facing more trauma than other kids. And I will say that honestly, after the year that we've all had, we're going to see more and more kids have higher ACE scores because they've, you know, they've gone through this pandemic. Um, and so we really need to really focus on what's going to be important in our classroom, which is creating a safe uh, social, emotional learning environment so that they can be successful. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, one thing that really stuck with me, I think from the beginning of last year, um, it was, it was a weird year for me because it was my third year teaching and everybody says your third year is kind of where you finally feel like yourself. You find your superpower, I think, is the correct way of saying it. But also it was, you know, the most chaotic year of teaching ever. So I, I kind of thrived because I like a little bit of organized chaos. But the thing that stuck with me from the beginning of last year was whenever everybody, you know, we realized every single student at this point had gone through some kind of trauma that interruption of their daily life was going to affect them. And the bad part about that was, is that all the holes that good educators already knew we had in our system were exacerbated. Um, and it was a perfect time for us to take a good hard look at our education practices and change them. Um, some people like my team took that opportunity and it worked fantastic. And we're carrying it over into the somewhat more normal year, I guess. Obviously, right now, things are ramping back up again, and everybody would think you would make you think that it's over, but it's really not. But um, I guess expand on this idea, right? Why Why do you think that people didn't take this opportunity to change? What uh, What's causing us to not wholeheartedly embrace these practices that are research and data proven to work? Um, why, why hasn't our mindset shifted as a whole? Well, I, I think that there is a, well, I think there are a lot of things, but because our system is so based on, um, on the standardized test and um, that somehow we get, the, we are the, the, the end all and be all of education revolves around that standardized test that we've got to hold on to those old practices so that we can, you know, teach to the test, um, which I absolutely abhor. Uh, if you can't tell by the tone in my voice. <laughs> um, and so I, I think we have some of that. And I think also because people were so thrown off their game and, 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 and everyone keeps talking about, oh, we got to get back to normal. There is not going to be a normal anymore like it was. If that was normal, we've got to fix it. it <laughs> this, is, this is an opportunity. This, is, this past year has been an opportunity. This coming year is an opportunity to find what works and elevate it 
and celebrate it and let go of the draconian things that you were talking about before. Let those things go. You know, we are, we are dealing with a generation that is so different than any other generation before, really and truly. Generation Z, um, they, are, they, they think differently, um, they interact differently, they communicate differently. And instead of us trying to make them communicate and learn the way that we were taught, we need to meet them where they are and then go beyond and say, oh, you like this, you're interested in this, take it farther. We need to see more research-based things where they can take the lead. And because if you look at them, they are, they are algorithm children. Once an algorithm is, is, they get into an algorithm where this is the things that they like, then they're going to excel at it. They excel at the things that they like. And I'm not saying that we have to, you know, well, they've got to learn to do things that they, I understand that's a life lesson, but we also need to embrace their strengths. And we need to be uh, more flexible because we live in a world now that we, we are going to have to learn to teach in person and online. We are, we are going to have to be um, the hybrid teacher generation now. And we've got to embrace that. Uh, because until the pan, uh, until the you know the virus is completely eradicated from the planet, we're going to have to adjust. And so one of the things that I will say about um, these kids as well um, is that they're they're very resilient. They've had incredible setbacks. They've lost so much as a generation. But the things is that they are moving forward. They, they are, they are activists and they are vocal and, um, and they're fired up and, and they really are pinpointing on this is important. This is important because I know, because we've lost this. Uh, and I think that as educators, we should maybe think about that a little bit. What do we need to let go? What is not working in our education system? What laws are holding us to that? And it's time to move forward. Well, I'm going to go ahead and follow up. Uh, what are the things that we do need to let go of in your mind? Um, in my perfect world, um, I do not like standardized testing, and we need to let that go. Um, I think that teachers are the consummate professionals. We know how to benchmark. We should you know, do more benchmarking because you and I both know you take a standardized test. That kid is gone. We don't see them again. We don't get a lot of information uh, very specific data-driven information that we could use to help them immediately. Whereas benchmarks, whoop, I see you need to work on fluency right here. Let me get on that right now with you while you're in my classroom and it's not April, May, and you're gone. Um, and so we can address these things immediately. Um, we, we also know um, in best practices that that is only a snapshot and not the true the true whole picture of what a child's intelligence is, what their strengths and weaknesses are. Um, and given whatever happened to that child that day, they may score high, they may score low. And, and so I think that that is one thing that needs to go. It just absolutely does. Um, we, we have ways that we can make sure that kids are learning and teachers need to be trusted to be the professionals that they are because we are professionals. Um, and we need to be allowed to teach and to reach them. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was, 
I had Jacob Rosecrans on a couple couple weeks ago, and we were really getting into the the political nature of education. Um, and I shared a thing the other night that I think he pushed forward as well, looking at Finland's education system. Yes. Um, which is, I mean, you want to look at a system that is not only effective, but also is forward thinking. Uh, they don't have standardized tests. If you want to go to school, obviously, yeah, you take some tests to basically kind of see where you're at, but uh, no pressure to take a standardized test. And whenever you really look at the reasoning behind why we're taking standardized tests, um, a lot of it has to do with that draconian thinking that we were talking about, you know, an ACT wasn't even uh, a thing really until post-World War II. Um, and then also the crazy amount of money that is being pumped into the pockets of certain politicians to make sure that it is still there. Uh, and it's really unfortunate that it's come to that point, but I think it's uh, time to start calling a spade a spade and uh, addressing it in the open. Um, what else besides just no standardized testing? What are the other things that we need to drop? Um, things that we need to drop. Um, well, I think that some of the portions of our teachers' tests that are wonderful kids that, and I say kids because I'm very, very old. So, uh, but we have uh, amazing interns that go to college for four years and they are studying to be educators. They are in the weeds of it and they are learning and then they're doing their student teaching and then they have this standardized test that's thrown at them that doesn't really cover a lot of the things that they've been taught. Um, and so they end up having to take it over and over and over again, spending hundreds to thousands of dollars again. And then they don't, they get so demoralized by it that a lot of them don't go into teaching. And so we need to drop that. Um, we need to make sure that, you know, they take their tests uh, and that, that, you know, they can take a, their general education test is great or, you know, whatever they're looking at. But we need to take a look and see what's being pushed at them as well, uh, because that's not working. If we have an issue with uh, the amount of teachers that we have in the state and that's that's like the first part of our issue. One is that the test is keeping good educators from being in the classroom with our kids. And I know for a fact that is because I've talked to them from all over the state, really and truly. That needs to be dropped. So I know it's another form of testing, um, but I think it's something that we really need to address because if you if you want some great teachers, we got to get them in the classroom. Uh, yeah, I think that if I mean I. I'm not humble at all. I think I'm a pretty good teacher. But uh, I think if you ask my principals and other people, they'd agree. And I remember whenever I got back my uh, my test scores, uh, you know, my English language mastery was was great, right? Scored fine on that part. But then I got back my score on the, uh, I think it was the written lesson plan portion, and I barely passed it. And I was like, well, that's just very fascinating, isn't it? Uh and it's, you know, I, I could not agree with you more about that. I have friends that had to take it two and three times because it really doesn't have much to do with actually teaching. Um, and that's actually something that nobody's brought up on here. So I'm glad that, you're, that you decided to talk about it. Um, kind of shifting back to forward thinking mentality about our practices in education. Um, one thing that has been consuming my mind recently 
um, is I look at our students and I, I the way I want to always teach is I want to look 20, 20 years down the line is what I'm teaching them now going to help them be successful in the world, right? And um, that's led to me changing a lot of things with my English curriculum, especially for senior students. Um, that's a really weird niche grade to teach uh, just from a general perspective. But whenever we're talking about this generation of kids, we're talking about kids that on average um, – federal reports have said are going to change careers probably five different times. Mm -hmm. um, the skills that they will need to be not just successful people, right, but also people that are fulfilled and thriving and independent um, are not the skills that our education system addresses. Even in the very best states in the country, they do not address them, um, at least not from a holistic perspective. So you've talked a little bit about teaching life lesson skills in your classroom, right? Whether that's job readiness or college readiness. Um, what kind of things do you do in your classroom to try and get kids prepared for life outside of school? Absolutely. Well, I think the first thing is that you've got to, you've got to offer a variety um, because I, I'm really one of those people that doesn't believe that everyone's on track to go to college and you shouldn't have to there. There's this great big world of opportunity um, and we've got to focus on all the different careers and pathways. Um, I am, I, I'm a big proponent of ICAP, the individual career and, and, and academic um, uh, plan, uh, which, you know, kids start learning earlier on about the things that they're interested in. And then that kind of, how do you get that way? Um, I'm, I'm a big career tech person. I have seen firsthand how amazing our program, Oklahoma has amazing career tech programs. And the kids that go there, they're so successful. They're so happy. And we need to keep promoting those. And that means getting the STEM classes in elementary and middle school. Um, I know that when I visited I visited Woodward and they had amazing classes where kids in the middle school had little engines over there and they're working on the engines and, and they were working on building like little, you know, uh, tornado shelters that would withstand the wind. I mean, they're putting these practical application things in. And I love that. Uh, in my classroom, in my writing classroom, um, excuse me, um, we would, uh, we would teach them how to write resumes. So my eighth graders knew how to write a resume and they knew how to do some presentations that were more engaging because one of the things is I talked to business people across the state. I said, well, what are the two skills? If I had to make you pick right now, what are the two skills that you would want me to focus on as a teacher? And they told me, teach them how to write well and how to express themselves and teach them how to present well. Because no matter what um, career choice that you go into, you're going to have to write to people. And you're going to have to talk to people. And so these are very important life skills that if we integrated these into all of our classrooms, it's fantastic. Um, if you make all of your class, if you make the work applicable to real world, kids buy into it. So, you know, I see a lot more people talking about, you know, using math, business math and things like that. So they can see how it's applicable. Kids will buy into it. Uh, you know, I, I never thought I would have eighth graders giving present, not only presentation, infographics. They build infographics, talk about it, and then they'll present you their resume. Um, and they love it because it's about them. They're, they're thinking forward. 
there's possibilities. And my favorite thing, there's hope. There's hope built into those kind of lessons. Um, in high school, when I taught high school, I started a program called Lunch with Nelson because I realized a lot of those kids didn't know what they wanted to do. And my first year in high school teaching, I, I remember asking a kid, hey, and senior, just like your senior, I said, well, what, do you, what are your plans? And I go, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I realized that I wasn't okay with I don't know. So I started going through the process during lunch times once a month with my seniors and my juniors could come watch showing them how to apply for college or career tech or the military scholarships. How do you do that? Checking their essays and then just kind of building these groups and these communities that help each other so that they can be successful. Um, so there are little things that we can do um, to make a great big impact. And I think that those are, are, are pretty important and, and kids will buy into it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and that's that's one thing that I think the, the longer I teach, the more that I realize how important it is that your school staff from top to bottom at each site has a specific set of things that they say kids have to know how to do this. So how are we going to incorporate it into our curriculum? Um, you know, for my for my seniors this year, we start off the year discussing, uh, you know, what does a hero look like to you? Which is like this really abstract idea that they've talked about before, right? And as you get older, that idea becomes more concrete. But we transition that unit into talking about their career and like what they want to do and how that career or what they're going to do, how are they going to use that to be somebody's hero? How are they going to use that to help better the world around them? Um, and I think it's going to be really good for them because, you know, yeah. part of – part of a career, part of doing something is taking pride in who you are and what you do, uh, whatever that is. Um, no, that's awesome. I, I wish, gosh, I wish that whenever I was teaching sophomores that they had all those skills. And I think it's great to hear from somebody like you that you can start incorporating that at a very, very young age. It doesn't have to be something that you wait until they're 16 or 17 to start throwing it in. No. Not at all. And I think it's and I think it's important to start earlier as well. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, the heroes. This is what this generation is. This generation is, you know, they are all about wanting to give back. They they're worried about their environment. They're worried about the world they're going to inherit. And I've seen more of this generation become more socially conscious. Uh, they're very big into social justice. Um, and, and so I, I, I'm just always impressed by the young people that are in our classes every single day. Absolutely. They are, you know, you talked about whenever you first started teaching, you found that part of your life that you just felt like was missing. And uh, I can't, it's hard to explain to people that don't teach why, why you wake up and you do it every single day. Because I'll tell you what, most days I come home and I lay my bag down and then I plant face first into the mattress for about 20 minutes because yes. that's how tired I am. Yes. And that's how exhausting it is. But that's why we need the absolute best people in the classroom, which I'm going to use that to pivot now. Um, you have been to other states. You've met other teachers of the year. Uh, I told you we were going to bring up some social media stuff from you. Absolutely. You had a tweet recently where you were talking about your interactions with teachers from other states and uh, what it's like there for them. Um what are the deficiencies 
that the state of Oklahoma has with regard to its teachers that you think have to be fixed uh, as soon as possible? Um, well, I will say one thing that, you know, nationally, teachers, obviously, we all need to be paid more. We talk about that. We can talk about that toward blue in the face. And, and obviously, when we were talking about our salaries out loud, it was pretty, it was pretty interesting. Let's just say that. And, but none of that matters. Well, it does matter. But what I'm saying, let me get back to it. What matters first is respect. We have got to start respecting the educators in the state of Oklahoma. Um, you know, there was a survey that came out a couple years ago from the State Department and asking teachers what the number one reason they left the profession. Why, why did you leave the profession? What's, what's the number one reason? And the number one reason was respect. Because as you know, as an educator, um, we get, we do, we give our hearts, our, our minds, everything. We pour our souls into what we do because we are investing in the most important thing on this planet, which are children. And it is so disheartening when you open up an article about education in the state of Oklahoma, and it doesn't matter what news site it is. And as soon as you read the comments, which please don't read the comment section, but I'm sorry, I'm one of those people who I do read the comment section. And you see the things that people say about educators. And I had to take a step back and go, why, why do these people say these things about these amazing people who are, who are, who are educating the youth, who are, who are building the economies of the world because you cannot have any occupation without education. That's how in, vital, we're not just essential, we are vital to this world. How do you say these things? And then I had this epiphany. Everybody has sat in a classroom, haven't they? So everybody thinks they know what our job is. And so they don't understand the, the hours of pedagogy and planning and everything that we put into it to, you know, to make it happen. Um, and so with that, that respect, that lack of respect, then we get legislation that not, I mean, not only affects us in our school building, but affects us at home where so many teachers are taking on um, multiple jobs no matter what their degree level is. They could have a doctorate and they're having other, you know, side hustles or side jobs. You know, Trey, I'm, I'm the 2020 teacher of the year and I have side hustles. I'm going to say that again. I have side hustles because I have children and I want to make sure that they have the same kind of experiences as other kids that go to their school. And so they want to participate. Well, we got to make sure that we can afford to do that and afford to pay bills. Um, and that's a respect thing. And so I always talk about the respect because I feel like that's all encompassing. Because if you respect us, then you pay us a living professional wage. If you respect us, then you allow us the autonomy to teach and to know our pedagogy, know our profession, and to do what is best in our classrooms every single day. If you respect us, then you don't pass laws that hurt us or our children in our state. And for me, that's what it comes down to. If you want to, when I listen to all the other stories and everything, every issue comes down to respect. And that's the first thing. If we're going to address pay, if we're going to address, uh, we're going to address um, all the things, our curriculum, we've got to address the respect issue first. 
Well, I think we can end the episode right there. Um, <laughs> that, no, listen, that was powerful and awesome. And I think that you, you, you hit everything with that one word, right? Respect. Um, I want to, I want to get into this a little bit, obviously, because I think we went really quick from, thank God we have teachers. Teachers are so important. I can't deal with my kid at home eight hours a day. Uh, we went from that really fast to um, attacks on teachers for not wanting to go back to a school whenever there's still a pandemic going on. Um, teachers demanding things like a living professional wage. Um, the vilification of teachers, I believe, truly mainly comes from uh, a media machine that thrives off of uh, division and everything else. But that trickles down to the greater populace, right? And that that affects the news cycle and what people see. How, as, as a teacher, right, how do we start, how do we do our part, I guess, to make sure that we bridge the gap between what people are being told and what they see? Okay, so it starts with what you're doing right now. Teachers, we are so, I mean, we're just so busy and we're wrapped up with everything that deals with loving kids and teaching kids every day. The advocacy sometimes gets put out on the back burner until we had a situation like we did where we all, 50,000 of us had to walk out and then, you know, none of us wanted to do, I mean, no one wants to walk out because we're just not built that way. But we had to do it because it was uh, it was important to sustain the profession and to take care of our students. Um, but what we have to do is we have to take back the narrative. We have to be more vocal about this is what we do. This is what we do. I don't just teach. I am inspiring. I am saving and inspiring lives every single day. There is not an economy without teachers. Everything is cyclical. If you want a good economy, you got to have a good education system. You want a good education system, you got to have a great economy. And we are part of that. And another thing is, is that teachers, we've got to advocate for ourselves. Um, if there's one thing that I would say that I learned from the walkout is that we cannot be complacent in our pedagogy. We cannot be complacent in our empathy and we cannot be complacent in our advocacy. Because what we did is we ruffled feathers and we've had retaliation legislation ever since. And so we have to stand together and say, we're it's not about me. It's not about Trey. It's not about Gina. This is about the generation of Oklahomans that are going to grow up here, that are going to, you know, create our economy, that are going to take care of each other. That's the kind of things that we do. Um, and there just isn't an, a more important profession in the world than than teaching. Uh, and we've and we've just got to make sure that we are, are vocal about it, um, because honestly, uh, the kind of teachers that we see on the news are not <laughs> not always. It's not the ones that are doing the everyday amazing things that are inspiring. Um, and so we, we need to do a better job of communicating that to our families, in our, from our classroom, to our communities. We need to show up and, and be more involved in politics uh, at the local level and at the state level as well. Um, and it's not always easy, it's not always comfortable, 
but we're doing it. We're doing it for kids and we're doing it for our profession. And if we don't do it, someone else is going to do it to us. Mm. Yeah, uh, we've already seen a great example of that in this state. Whenever we started funding and pushing dollars into a online charter program that is for profit by and large. Uh, but I digress. I'm not going to get into that today. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, we're starting to get close to an hour. So I want to want to start pushing us kind of towards a point where there's some resolution here. Um you know, you were talking about advocating for yourself and things like that, obviously being the teacher of the year, but also doing all the extra stuff uh, that you're doing, like this podcast and everything else to try and help the field. How do you find balance? Um, my husband um, years ago told me that I had to get a hobby. <laughs> and so um, I, and so I have a hobby. And when I need to go and 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 ah and, and the scream and the and the cry or whatever, I I go into my gardens and I and I I work in in, in with some plants and I'm growing things and you know but but my also my balance is that um I I can say the word no I can say the word no um and that's okay is to say the word no occasionally. Uh, if I have the time and the energy, if I have the time and the full amount of energy, I will say yes. If there's part of me where if, if I'm thinking about grading papers or I'm thinking about this and that, I have to say no. Um, or I say not yet. Sometimes not yet is a fantastic answer to yeah. get off. Uh, it's what I tell my, uh, they always ask me advice to my first year teachers. The first year teachers, I would say, learn to say not yet. I will learn to do that or I will do this. I'm not yet ready for that um, so that we don't burn them out. Um, but I think it's in very important for balance is um, to keep doing what you love. And I'm so, I'm so passionate because a teacher saved my life. But I've got to give back. I got to give back what was given to me, a chance at something better. And that only comes through public education. And so there will be a time trade. Well, nobody wants to talk to me anymore. They're tired of me and they want me to move on and, and whatever the flavor of the month is. And that's fine. That's good. But for right now, it is, it is my honor, not my duty. It is my honor to speak out and speak up for those who feel like they don't have a voice because teachers are so important. And I love every single one of them. And they don't have to agree with me on the things because I know I'm kind of spicy, um, <laughs> but I hope they all know that I love and respect them and I love our profession and we're worth fighting for and we're worth speaking up for. And I'm not going to stop. I love it. Um, you know, you've talked a little bit about uh, in, in interviews, things like that. You've talked a little bit about how having kids changed your life um, and how it affected you as a teacher. Can you expand on that just a little bit for listeners? Sure. So I have two children. Um, one's going to be a senior this year, and I can't even believe it. And one's going into sixth grade. And um, I think they taught me a lot about patience. They are the mirror to my life because, you know, how I, in Oklahoma, we've got this great saying that says you pay for your raisin, right? Um, and so sometimes when something just so sassy or whatever comes out of their mouths, I'm like, oh, 
and I realized <laughs> you got to take some time because that was you. That's a part of you that needs to be taught. It needs to be nurtured. Um, it needs to be expressed. Um, they, they teach me about um, what's important. Uh, and they, they keep me in the loop of what's cool, even though I'm not cool. But, <laughs> <laughs> but they are, um, they remind me what I'm fighting for. They remind me because my kids deserve great teachers. Uh, and we talk a lot about that. They tell me a lot about what it, they tell me a lot about what a great teacher is. And I'm learning a lot from my own two kids in the house, um, what I need to do better to reach kids. Um, so there's, you know, there's this great, the great line by Rogers and Hammerstein in the King and I that says by our pupils, we are taught. Well, by my children, I'm being taught as well. Um, and I think that, you know, they're just, they're, they're great at teaching me lessons and keeping me humble because, um, you know, at the end of the day, they don't care about my awards or uh, my pedagogy. They just care about, am I there for them? Am I listening? And will I advocate for them? And that's what we have to do as teachers too. So they've been great educators. <laughs> I could not agree more. Um, Here's a question for you. Uh, anything in the way of reading that you would recommend people to pick up and maybe take a look at? Okay. Um, so, yes. And I just forgot the author, so please don't <laughs> forget. But um, The Wolf at the Schoolhouse Door. Guys, if you think that all of this is just kind of willy-nilly and it is not planned out, there is a there's a playbook in hand. There's a playbook that there are, that there are people that want to dismantle public education. And The Wolf at the Schoolhouse Door is a, a fantastic read on how in the heck did we get here? And it and it's showing us. Um, so if you, it, it's not very, it's not a big book. It's not over your head or anything. But it's just kind of eye-opening to realize that, oh, my gosh, you know, there, there is a plan. Um, and, and we just have to be stuck. And we're Okies. And we've got to be stubborn enough to say, uh-uh, we're done. Stop. Stop. You're hurting our kids. You're hurting our profession. And uh, so I, I would recommend reading that if I were, if anybody wanted to listen. You know, I was doing a podcast the other day with, um, oh my gosh, I just forgot her name. She's a representative out of uh, South Tulsa, but we were talking about the reason why uh, consistently our legislature has failed to uh, fund schools. And in reality, the way that, the way that I see it at this point in my life, maybe I'm just cynical is because really the people in power don't want all of our children to succeed because that would mean that they're uh, going to advocate for something different. So I'll take my tinfoil hat off for a second, but that was a wolf at the schoolhouse door. That book is by Jennifer Berkshire and Schneider for all the listeners. Now I have to go buy another book tonight. Thanks a lot. My bank is <laughs> big enough already. Um, last thing um, you've already talked about this a lot. You talked about how trauma-informed teaching, about how public education really changed your life and probably saved it in a lot of ways. You had one teacher in particular. Um, can you talk a little bit about that person, what they did, and uh, why it's so important to you? Yes. Yeah, so after years of being labeled one of those kids in my community, 
um, I just had enough one day. There was a group of girls that just kept on and kept on. As you guys know, um, that just happens a lot in schools. And I just decided I'd had enough and I was going to go fight them. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie to you, Trey. Okay. I was feeling spicy and I was headed down this hallway and Mr. Smallwood saw it. I mean, he saw the look on my face. He knew I was up to no good. And he just stopped me and he said, you need to take all of that anger and that passion and put it into my drama class. And so I did. And then he started making sure that I was gone every weekend from my home off on speech and debate tournaments across the state. I was staying late after school and musical rehearsals and, you know, finding, finding my people, finding a place that accepted me for who I was, no matter how broken I was and how many mistakes I made, they just, the arts community just accepted me. And then in 1996, I told you I was old. Uh, in 1996, um, I became the first to graduate and then go to college because my teacher introduced me to a professor who offered me a full scholarship. And in that same year in 1996, Mr. Smallwood became the Oklahoma Teacher of the Year. And I will tell you that when my name was called in September of 2019, Mr. Smallwood was the first person to run down that staircase and meet me. And he grabbed me in the biggest hug and he whispered in my ear, they will never know. They will never know what you had to go through. And he has been with me every step of the way. Like so many teachers across the state, that's what we do. We love kids. And you're not just a kid for one year or two or three or four. You're our forever kids. And the impact that we have as teachers goes on forever. It goes on forever. He is still someone that I can pick up the phone and and listen to and, you know, and, and ask questions um, because he's he's just a wonderful man and an amazing educator. Well, now you're ruining my makeup. That I'm sorry. Nice. You look beautiful. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know. I, I love it. You know, I whenever I started this show, it's because I care so much about not only this job, but, but kids, um, and stories like that, I think are what can keep people going. Um, especially in the current storm that we're in. So thank you so much again for coming on, uh, Gina. And I'm glad that I said your name right the second time around. Okay. Um, thank you. Thank you so I, much. Absolutely. Um, if, if people want to talk to you, contact you, is there any specific way that you prefer? Oh, sure. They, um, so I'm all over social media. You can look on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And I'm on, I'm under, uh, Oklahoma, uh, toy 2020. And it's just Gina Nelson. Um, and, um, they're welcome to reach out to me. Um, and, uh, I, I love talking to people. Uh, and connecting with them and helping out as much as I possibly can. And I can vouch for that because I messaged her on uh, Sunday, which was yesterday, and we're recording today. So <laughs> very receptive. So once again, thank you so much for coming on. And thank uh, you. yeah, I wish you luck in the coming school year because I think we're going to need it again.
Um, thank you to everyone that has listened through this whole episode today. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Uh, make sure you guys are checking out the episodes coming out. Things are going to slow down a little bit now that school has started, but uh, hopefully we are going to get quality over quantity for the rest of the school year. So from Teacher's Pet, this is Trey Kabler. You all have a great rest of your day.